things that I've noticed too is the people that, like I think about the Jamal, I think about some of the ones who were saved, they had a whole lot less expectations about like what church should be like. They didn't care. Like, just preach the Bible. You know, like just, right. <laughs> what, 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 I just want I just want to call you and ask you questions about how we do this Christian thing. And it's just like, and so they didn't really have all the preferential debates. They ha- didn't have a dog in the fight. They just wanted to grow. And so I think you end up having a whole lot more unity. Welcome to Around the Block with Pastor Thabiti Anyabwile, but you can call me Pastor T. Around the Block is a podcast of the Creek Collective. And in this podcast, what we try and do is spend a season in a city trying to get a sense of the gospel ecology in that place, talking with pastors and Christian leaders and uh, nonprofits and regular members of churches about the work of the gospel, the advance of the gospel in their neighborhoods. Someone once said to me that you can never recover from a faulty start or a faulty foundation. The mistakes we make at the beginning of a venture have a way of lasting and growing to the point that it ends the venture. I wonder what you think about that. Honestly, when I heard it, I was offended. The view was too fatalistic for me. I mean, given that God loves resurrections, it seemed to me to be an affront to genuine faith and hope. So while I left the exchange shaking my head, I could also see some truth in it though. We need to lay good foundations. We need to start new ventures in as effective a way possible because sometimes those early mistakes really do work later ruin. Today we get to chat with my brother, Welton Bonner. Welton is in an interesting season of transition. He's closed a church plant started by his parents and their friends because some necessary things were missing at the start. Those things have caused the church to limp along until this hard decision to close it. But Welton's hope is to replant the church after a season of study and planning that addresses what was missing before. And in this episode, we talk about um, the origins of that first church, uh, things that were missing, why they closed the church, and at a minimum, what a foundation should include when we're planting churches. Welcome again to Around the Block. Thank you for joining us in this conversation with my brother, Welton Bonin. Listen in. Welton, brother, thank you for taking the time to talk with us, man. Oh, it's my joy. Yeah. You have been um, a, a great encouragement to me. Your your faith, your faithfulness, your your zeal um, to, to serve the Lord, advance mm-hmm. his gospel and his word. Um, I especially appreciate you for your friendship and love uh, for my brother Jeremy. Mm. Uh, so, so grateful for you. Dear brother. Yeah, man. Yeah. And you guys have been laboring up in Northeast DC. Yes, sir. Um, just a couple of neighborhoods up the road from yes, us. Um, tell us about greater love. Tell us about its history, how it started, yeah. um, its people, the shape of its ministry. Yeah. And introduce us to it. Absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on and, and your example as, you know, uh, a man of God, 
and what you're doing east of the river has been a source of encouragement. And so it's a, it's a joy to be with you. So greater love, we actually have a rich history east of the river. Amen. Um, 1985, my uh, basically two churches merged together, Bible Baptist and Souls Outreach. Okay. And they merged together to form new Bible Baptist. Okay. <laughs> and, and so they began meeting at 4421 J Street where Greater Love was located. Um, so new Bible Baptist Church in, at, in 1989, my father, he, he and my mom came from Hawaii, freshly saved, joined that church, were greatly edified there and met their two best friends. And, uh, mm. and so they kind of matriculated in ministry together. And, and, and so it was really beautiful. One of the challenges, though, was as they, they grew in ministry, like just I, I would just say with all prudence, I guess, it's just that the leadership situation there just was not healthy. And so my father and his two best friends, they eventually all kind of ended up dispersing in different ministries. And in 2012, New Bible Baptist Church closed. And that grieved my father greatly. So that's where he wanted to relaunch. And that is really kind of the vocabulary that we use. And that was kind of the mentality that was behind it, which is kind of like, a little bit of foreshadowing of some of the challenges that we would face down the line. But by God's grace, 2014, August, Greater Love was planted and started having services. We had the blessing of the churches that my father and his two best friends were a part of. But the challenge was that, you know, being in the predominantly traditional African-American background, sending well is is challenging to do for multiple reasons. It's not really a part of the culture and the financial picture of most churches we were from were just struggling. So being able to send members and, and finances was just hardship. So we got the blessing and started services. And so my father and them, they did that August 2014. I was still in Lancaster Bible College in PA at the time. Married my wife December 2014, I mean, uh, January 2015. After I graduated in December 2014, we moved down here, began working with Jeremy mm -hmm. at Daybreak Ministries, um, lived in Southeast on 53rd Place, right off yeah. of East Capitol. Yeah. And then the church was right off of Nanny Helen Burroughs. Yeah. So it was just yeah. all like God, God, that was kind of a lot of the confirmation that the Lord was calling Casey and I here to D, back here to DC, where, uh, you know, I grew up out, outside of. And so that's kind of, how we got there, but greater love when we first started, like, you know, a lot of enthusiasm, a lot of love, a lot of, you know, courage. We started a camp, you know, for mm. the kids during mm. the summer and it was beautiful. Uh, but one of the things that became abundantly clear over time was just that, how are we going to sustain this? Because we're doing these camps, we're doing, you know, a lot of outreach and things of that nature. How can we sustain this? So, so let me let me just push pause there for, mm -hmm. for one second, because I think it. I'm wondering what the sort of church landscape was mm -hmm. as you guys are planting mm -hmm. and and what the sort of spiritual and material condition of the neighborhood was. Yeah. When you yeah. guys are planting. Yeah. And I think so. I would say one of the, so Jeremy hadn't planted at Mercy of Christ yet. Um, I think Devin Turner was just getting ready to plant um, Revolution Church there. And so like there were a ton of established churches there, but just like it is now, sadly, a lot of them are, are 
the, especially the gospel preaching ones, tend to be up in age and and kind of both physically and geographically disconnected because many of the members, you know, you drive past, you see them, you know, yeah. the, the Merlin tags. And mm-hmm. so so that's the component there. And many of them may be from the neighborhood, eventually commuted out, kind of moving on up, you know? <laughs> and so, so kind of, but still kept their church location there. But meanwhile, the dynamics of the community is shifting. And so churches eventually become disconnected. So th- a lot of the churches that we would find camaraderie with in the gospel were kind of not situated in the area. But then it was like just, prosperity gospel mm. just like a poison in in our neck of the woods like the biggest church in Deanwood is a prosperity gospel church i went there on a wednesday night i've never seen that many offerings in one service and an atm and you get you print this out you come and slap this desk you gonna get a call like this is what we were we were realizing and then so there's kind of the prosperity gospel co- context and then just the easy believism Mm -hmm. that I didn't realize how entrenched it was because many of the kids, you know, prayed a prayer, got baptized. Hey, I'm, I'm saved, you know, like I'm, I'm a true believer. But when you talk to them, they're not hoping in the gospel at all. Mm -hmm. They're hoping in them being a good person, they're good outweighing their bad. And so I never forget me and Jeremy, we literally went around all of Lincoln Heights interviewed almost every house there. And only one person said that the reason why they would enter into heaven was because of the gospel. Everybody else works based righteousness. So, so the prosperity gospel, then there's kind of like some liberal theology that's going in there. Some people that don't really believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Mm -hmm. So you kind of got that whole climate all there mixed with, as I grew in understanding of being there seven years, was just the pervasive uh, impact of systemic oppression Mm. on the spiritual life, right? So when I go to share the gospel, the questions that I'm having aren't really like, does God exist? It's why why did Christianity sanction the oppression of our people? And so having those conversations became more prominent apologetic conversation and praise God for, you know, Eric Mason mm-hmm. dropping the Urban Apologetics book and some other brothers that have been doing work and brothers and sisters that have been doing work there. But that was the climate we were entering into. And so, yeah, it was a it was a tough landscape, still is to this day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah. by God's grace, that's why we want to be there. Amen. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Those are those are not repellents. Those are meant to be attractive yeah. to the gospel minded, uh, to the kingdom minded. So you guys get started 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. You got a congregation of people loving on each other, yeah. excited, yeah. starting camps. Tell us more about, about yeah. the church itself. Yeah, and so it was this, mainly it was made up of my father, his two best friends, and their children. Okay. And so it's a family affair, Okay. which has its pros and its cons. That's right. And so that was a unique thing. But And, and so, but overall, there was this deep, like, I'm, t- I'm talking about, like, I think you would be hard-pressed to find somebody, uh, find a congregation that would say, we are willing to work from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. and not get paid a dime. Mm. That was our first year of summer camp. And so people were dedicated to the summer camp. But what I realized over time was that it was like, we're excited about certain programs, but the whole program of the church. Mm. It was like that part people weren't unified in. 
And so that was kind of the, the, the struggle. So it's like during camp season, we're enthusiastic, but Sunday ain't nobody here. What happened? And we're all supposed to be members. What's going on? You know, and so it's like, all right, then we might have another event. People kind of excited during their kind of events. But it was like the whole culture of discipleship. It was like how, like trying to convey this. And it's hard to do in an environment where most of the folks came out of traditional environments where it's mainly kind of um, corporate discipleship is the emphasis. So the, the, the main component, preach the word, Bible study, that's where you're getting discipled. And that's where kind of the way my father and my mother and their, their generation was, was discipled. And so, but the life on life discipleship wasn't the emphasis. And, and I think that's where you get into the, the holiness. You get into that, come on, like, let's do life together. Let's, let's hold each other accountable on a personal level. That part was kind of like a foreign concept. So no matter how much I'm trying to preach it, people are trying to, like, it's just like this disconnect. And so that was one of the struggles. But meanwhile, at this kind of at the same time, there is this, even though we might, you know, not always be committed like we're supposed to, there's this deep sense of, but we love this community. And we want to, we really do want this community to see the gospel. And so it's this, and, and I think primarily in the older generation, there was a clear understanding of commitment. There was a clear understanding of the importance of the local church. There was a clear understanding of let's, let's, let's show up, let's put in work at all times for the whole assembly versus my generation was like, let's get passionate for our things. And so that created some intergenerational complex. And, and, and so it was just, it was, it was a unique a unique challenge that we navigated through, but by God's grace, we were able to do it for seven years. Amen. So church, seven years. Yeah. Plugging away. Yeah. And we saw like some new believers born, um, some folks called the ministry in there. Like, and you know, I grew a lot like during that time, like facing, like I was telling you at the, at the table earlier, like I felt like there was so many pastoral uh, situations that we faced that were like algebra. It was like, no, every, why do we keep getting algebra? Everybody else gets arithmetic. <laughs> we keep getting algebra. So it's these complex situations. Like, where do you find a widow that's kind of stealing, that's kind of lying about her financial picture so she can get more from the church? Like, like how, how did this happen? Like, mm-hmm. this is her husband is killed, like basically behind the church. We're trying to come alongside and she's still kind of manipulating. So it's, mm-hmm. it was those type of complexities that are just like, Lord, this is hard. But yet at the same time, for every like hard blow upon our souls and our, and our morale, it was also these tidbits of encouragement of God's provision and, 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 you know, being able to care for one another in affliction. So it, it was this beautiful thing. And I just think about Jamal, you know, like this guy saved at one of our Bible studies at, 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 at the house we were renting out of. And he hears the gospel and he actually repents and he actually perseveres to this day. And I'm just like so proud of that guy and, and what God did in his life. And so, but I wish we saw more of that, you know, mm-hmm. but his life was kind of like, he, he basically grew with the church. And so that was a beautiful thing. Praise God. Hey, listen, and if the Lord only planted that church for Jamal to be saved, yeah. it, it was worth it. Amen. The whole seven years. It's, Amen. It's, it's worth it, man. Praise, yeah, praise absolutely. the Lord. Praise the Lord. So um, 
you're, you're seeing a situation where people are committed to their thing, but not necessarily to the, the rhythms of the, of the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that was partially because when we, when we got planted, we didn't, we didn't know about church planting. Like I knew a little bit more because I was in Bible college freshly, but in my father's in my, and in, in his best friends, they were more from an established context. So the things you need to do kind of to strengthen the core team, get unified about what kind of church we're going to be. We kind of started having those discussions later when they were a problem. And so that's where it really got challenging because the church that some of the younger generation wants to see us being, they don't, the older generation isn't seeing it, you know? And it's like, so it's constantly this sideways energy versus if you're doing that on the front end, all your energy is focused on pursuing the gospel, pursuing the loss, building up one another with a clear vision. Um, and, and so I think that was part of the challenge. That's there. helpful. That's helpful. That's helpful. It, it's, it, Gosh, so many things I want to talk about here. <laughs> Maybe the next thing would be just to offer up a cliche and have you respond to it. Okay, bring it. What you win people with. Win them to. Is what you win them to. Yeah. True, false. Yeah, I would say overall, pretty true. I think, I think overall, pretty true. I think sometimes, you know, there were people that came maybe just because they wanted a family. And they got the gospel too, right? Like, which was the main thing we wanted them to get, but they were, they, they needed a community. And so I think overall though, the depth of, of what you win people with, if you stick to that, you can be more confident that long-term they're going to stick around no matter what, if that main thing is the gospel. And so I think that sometimes that was a challenge too, as a, as a young man in ministry, it was like, you know, we're trying to do these events and all that and people would come. And so we're like, yeah, but then you have to keep up those events. And if you don't have the money to keep up those events, then all of a sudden you're like, oh snap. And then all of a sudden the congregation is losing morale because they're like, oh, we didn't do this. We didn't do that. You know? Mm -hmm. And so I think it overall is very true. And so if the main thing is actually discipleship relationships, those are actually low cost for the most part. Those things are actually very doable throughout life. And I think long-term, if that's what we're winning people with, we can actually be more sustainable long-term. So um, one of the best compliments I think we've ever received as a church uh, was by a a guy and his, his wife who began attending the church he had been an assistant minister in, in another church, and they were transitioning to a different state. So, but they had this period of time where they just sort of landed at, at ARC. Mm. And um, he said his wife asked him after a few weeks, he said, you know, this feels so different. This, mm. you know, and was kind of wondering, what are they doing different? Mm. He said, as far as I can tell, actually just are teaching the Bible and trying to do it, mm. right? And it's just kind of like— mm. That's what you want. If you if you're mm-hmm. winning people to the meat and potatoes yeah. of following Jesus through His Word, yeah. a it'll make a difference. Yeah, uh, and b as you're saying, it's it's something that's replicable, right? right? And and something that's transferable. Yeah. You know, wherever people are going or coming from. And, and and one of the things that I've noticed too is the people that like I think about the Jamal. I think about some of the ones who were saved. They had a whole, whole lot less expectations 
about like what church should be like. They didn't care. Was like, just preach the Bible, you yeah, know. Like just, right. what, 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 <laughs> I just want I just want to call you and ask you questions about how we do this Christian thing. And it's just like, and so they didn't really have all the preferential debates. They ha- didn't have a dog in the fight. They just wanted to grow. And so I think you end up having a whole lot more unity when we can, and, 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 and I cannot express it hard enough. It's just like at the core foundation, I just, if we had extra time and the wherewithal at the time to just be like, yo, let's, let's go deeper together first. Let's talk about what it means to even be a church. What is that? That's something we take for granted so often. It's like, whoa, well, actually, does the Bible say about the church? That's a lot to say. And then how are we going to try to apply that east of the river? That's the main question. So what is the church? How do we apply this east of the river in that context? And so, yeah, and, but at the same time, like you said, I, I know that I am a better follower of Jesus because of those seven years. Yeah, amen. I, yeah. So, so here, let me toss this out to you. I was going to make it a, I'll make it a statement, but mm-hmm. invite you to comment on it, change it, et cetera. Um, it's not a failure to preach the gospel in a place for seven years and then have to close the church. Mm-hmm. True, true or false? I mean, yeah. You agree or disagree with that? Yeah, I, I would definitely say, depends on why you're closing, right? And so, like if you're closing just because, oh, my church ain't big enough and I'm just going to go to bigger and better things, then I think maybe that's a failure, right? right? Like if, if you're closing for those reasons. But if, if your main thing is like, no, no, we can actually, this, this has run its course and we, from the word, from confirmation, godly wisdom, this is probably the best step so that we can better advance the gospel. That actually is not a failure. Not at all. And so I, 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 but you know, our flesh, our fear of man can creep in and say, oh, yeah, you were a failure. But at the end of the day, I'm just like, what is best for East of the River? Is it just a church that's hanging on by a thread so that when people come in, they see Jesus and they see him and they're like, oh, but the community's just so dragged up. Why would I even want to be a part of this? Is this, this is what your Jesus produces? Is that really what we want to convey in our local assemblies? And so it's like, no, we want to show Jesus strong and grace and truth and love. And we, and, and he's given us an opportunity to do that better. We just fall back for a season and see, Lord, let rebuild us, rebuild us your way. And so, so yeah, I, I agree with that statement that it's not a failure as long as we, and I, and one of the most encouraging things was that if I, I can look back at my sermons, I can look back at other sermons that were preached and say, that was the gospel. That was the gospel for seven years. Same good news handed down to us once and for all. So yeah, I, don't, I agree. I agree with the statement. It's not a failure to preach the gospel for years and to then have to close the church. The Lord Jesus is still the one who walks in the midst of the candlesticks and who either sustains or removes the candle. We want the Lord to keep all the candles burning all the time, but sometimes the most merciful thing is for a kernel of wheat to fall into the ground, to die, and to later be reborn. Then that new growth has opportunity to grow in a healthy and sustainable way. 
I'm praying that's the case with my brother Welton and the work that results from this season of stopping, studying, and preparing. In our next episode, we're going to continue our conversation with Welton, and we'll talk more about when and why and how they close the church and what things that he's hopeful for as the Lord gives life and opportunity in the future. But for now, thank you for joining Around the Block. We pray you've been encouraged by this conversation. We hope something said here has been spiritually meaningful. Tell a friend about the podcast. Like, rate, and subscribe at your favorite outlet for podcasts. Holler at us on social media and visit us at our website, thecreekcollective.org. We love hearing from you. Until then, the Lord bless you and keep you. Mm